Well, the hottest selling, thank you, the hottest trend in fashion wear over the last few years has been workout clothes. That's as far back as I go with my workout clothes. Now, the hot trend in workout clothes started a long time before COVID back in 2014, but it really did increase during the COVID years. Now, the thing is, most people are wearing it, workout clothes, but they're not working out in it. In fact, over the last few years, the, uh, the sales of yoga apparel has increased 45%, but the participation in actual yoga classes has increased less than 5%. Now, why actually work out when you can just look like you worked out? Well, in the very same way, some people can wear the name Christian, but never live like Christ. So in this series, we are asking the question, well, what if Christians were Christian? Now, in a real sense, all of us are hypocrites, and we'd just be better off if we acknowledge that. We all wear workout clothes without working out, and we, some of us who wear the name of Christian, We know we do not always live like Jesus. We are not always Christian. Hypocrisy is a part of, I don't know, just who we are. Hypocrisy sailed across the Atlantic on the Mayflower. When the Puritans left England, they were searching for religious freedom. They did not want to be told by the Anglican church mandated how they would do religion. So when they reached these shores, they were able to practice their religion the way they wanted to, without control. But pretty soon, they developed a system of control, where they controlled how other people practiced their religion. And they set up a system that forced everybody to do religion like the Puritans were doing their religion. Hmm. And if you didn't do the religion like the Puritans, you'd be kicked out of the colony. You know, people today in the United States are still trying to force other people to do religion like they do religion. And some people today even want the government to force people to do religion the way this particular group wants them to do religion. So the Puritans coming over on the Mayflower, those who were oppressed became the oppressors. Hypocrisy. We're not that far away. The document that gave birth to the land of the free and the home of the brave, the Declaration of Independence, is shrouded in hypocrisy. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are what? Created equal. Some of the most important words, powerful words ever written in the history of humanity. Yet, something about them rings hollow when you realize that of the 56 men, and yes, they were all men, who signed that document, 41 of them owned human beings. All men are created equal. 
then why do you, 41 people, own other human beings? And then Thomas Jefferson, the author, primary author of that document, owned over his lifetime over 600 human beings and managed to free only seven. Yeah, so many of our values, and I'm not dissing on Thomas Jefferson, I'm really just dissing on humanity. So many of our values are aspirational. Even our value of being like Christ. So today in our series, we are asking the question, well, how do you really know that you're following Christ? Is it uh, what we believe or is it how we behave? How we behave? Maybe you all have heard these words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And well, sure, I've heard those words. I use that to kill the weeds in my yard all the time. <laughs> well, ortho is the weed killer, I guess. And it's a word that means straight, orthodontist, and orthopedic. And it's used to mean uh, right or even correct. So orthodoxy is right or correct belief. Orthopraxy is right or correct practice, behavior. Now for most of my life in the uh, SBC, Southern Baptist world, I was told that I had to believe certain things in order to be a Christian. In fact, I had to believe certain things in order to what we called be saved. I had to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that uh, Jesus was physically raised from the dead, and I had to believe those things before I could be saved and before I could really be a Christian. And maybe at some point in your life, especially maybe before you were baptized or before you joined a church or before you took communion, the authority figure in that church ask you this three-word question, do you believe? And then maybe that church had a particular list of those things that you had to believe before you could take communion, be baptized, join the church. Or you may be like I was oh, six, seven weeks ago, a guy, oh, just God bless him, uh, <laughs> He wrote some not-so-nice things about me, and so I reached out to him and, and invited him for coffee. And he agreed to meet for coffee, and he asked me, basically, do you believe? And he had this list of doctrinal statements that he quizzed me on in order to verify, in his mind, the validity of my belief. And finally... Well, not finally, at the very beginning, when, with his first, do you believe, da-da-dot, I said, you know, I'm not even going to go there with you today. I said, what I will say is that I believe that the greatest expression of my faith is my love. And we may disagree on these other doctrinal statements, but that's okay, because I want to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. It always helps to throw in a scripture there. 
<laughs> that is really bad of me to, to manipulate like that, but I do. <laughs> Where Paul said, pursue love. Go after it. Chase after love. You got all these other things to go after. You got all these other doctrinal statements to go after. You got all these other spiritual gifts he writes about in chapter 12 and then in 14. But he says right in the middle of all that, but go after love. And I said, that seems to be the, the number one thing. Well, that, he didn't buy that. So in his mind, I, I was not a true Christian. In fact, I was a heretic. And I'm leading everybody here on Sunday morning astray. So just warning you. If this is your first time here, I will, according to him, lead you astray. But be nice if you leave. Be kind anyway. So what do you think? Which is more important, orthodoxy or orthopraxy? Believing the right things or behaving the right way? Well, let's put a little Jesus in this thing. Several times Jesus was... Criticized, condemned for not believing like the Pharisees believed. And one of those areas of greatest contention was how Jesus treated the scriptures that talked about honoring the Sabbath. Jesus scandalized the Pharisees by healing on the Sabbath. And then he asked the man who was healed to take up his mat and walk. Now, some say, oh, no, Jesus wasn't breaking the law. Jesus was just breaking the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. I get that a lot. And I said, well, to be honest with you, the only scripture that any of us uh, express would be our interpretation of that scripture. So, yeah, maybe you're right. But the only thing I ever talk about when I talk about Scripture is my interpretation. You talk about Scripture, that's your interpretation. And so whatever, however you want to say it, Jesus broke their belief about the, the, how to honor the Sabbath. And just let me give you a couple of examples of, uh, of that from the Hebrew Scripture, the, what we call the Old Testament, and then in the New uh, Jeremiah 17, one of the prophets, this is what the Lord says. Take care for yourselves and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day or bring anything into the gates of Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees took that very literally. And it's pretty clear, don't carry any burden, don't carry any load. So when Jesus told the man on the Sabbath to take up his mat, well, Jesus, you're breaking the law. There's a story in the uh, Levitical law about a man who uh, was uh, picking up some sticks on the Sabbath. And now while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering the wood brought him to Moses and Aaron. Bunch of snitches. <laughs> to all the congregation. And they placed him in custody because it had not been decided what we should do to him, picking up wood on the Sabbath. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
the man must be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Now, do you think the Lord really said that? Just between you and me, this won't get out, will it? That just doesn't sound like God to me. I know it doesn't sound like Jesus. Because Jesus told the man to pick up his mat. And I'm learned, I don't know if you all, I've learned that Jesus is the face of God. And that Jesus came, and the one reason Jesus came to this earth was to show us who God really is and what God is really like. And the Jesus who told the man to pick up his mat is very different than the God who supposedly told Moses and Aaron to stone this guy for picking up wood on the Sabbath. All right, chew on that a little while. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on a Sabbath. I love it. It just, these parents parentheses here, parenthetical statements on the Sabbath. That's what makes the story real and controversial. Well, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pick heads of wheat and to eat them. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is against the law to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Well, haven't you read what David did? See, he's using Scripture too. When he and his companions were hungry. How he entered the house of God and ate the sacred bread, that which was only for the priest. And uh, it was against the law for him to, or his companions to eat, is only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are not guilty? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And I love this verse. It was on our refrigerator. If you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I want behavior, not belief. I don't care what you believe about the law. What I want is, I want you to live in a kind way. I want you to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to be kind. I don't know, I just get a sense, and I may have the wrong sense, that Jesus was kind of tired of the Pharisees' theological, doctrinal purity. And I think Jesus was more like the Dalai Lama. You know, just give me some kindness around here. Just let me see some mercy. Y'all are condemning the innocent because they don't believe exactly like you believe. Can't we just have some kindness? I didn't, I wasn't raised in a kind denomination. Oh, we were kind to other people who believed like we did. But we were very condemning of those who didn't. I'm just wondering if I missed the boat. What I understand about Jesus in these stories is that Jesus is breaking the letter of the law but in order to honor the spirit of the law. Jesus didn't break laws just to go around breaking laws. Do not fork the cat on the forklift, it says. So some guy broke the law, stuck a fork in the box. 
I like it. No pictures, okay? I love taking a picture of a no picture sign. Don't know why. Well, maybe we should recognize that Jesus wasn't willing to break a law just for the sake of breaking a law, but he was willing to break a law in order to give preference to love and to mercy and to kindness. Now, you see that number up there. If you're saying, Philip, you're full of it. Well, there's a number you can call. (laughs) And I will not tell you who's on the other end of that line. Now, you can ask questions on that number, and I'll, I'll get them before the Lord comes back. Courtney Bailey was pulled over in Durham, North Carolina, and she was just certain she was going to get at least two tickets. She was speeding. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and her license tags had expired. But when police officer Dan Strond asked why her tags had expired, she told him she had a young son, and all of her, her money went to take care of him, not to take care of the car. She had six cents in her purse, one dollar in her glove compartment. She was on her way to donate plasma in order to get money. So Officer Strand told her to follow him. But to where? It was to an auto repair shop where she was to get her car inspected. It failed inspection because she had a bad tire. It was a bald tire. So Officer Strand, out of his own pocket, paid $200 for that tire. That is one expensive tire. And it passed inspection. Courtney Bailey said this, This cop, who I had never met, was really going out of the goodness of his heart. Not only did he pay all that money for my car, but he did not give me the three tickets that he owed me. I boo-hooed my face off. (laughs) And she said, this picture of the officer, all black people ain't criminals, all police ain't looking to kill us. Something has to give, and especially after today, I'm willing to give it a chance. Officer Strand could have had three tickets to meet his quota. He chose mercy over law. Kindness over a belief. You know, I've discovered that there is no Baptist, no AG, no Methodist, no Buddhist, no atheist way of kindness. There's just kindness. I don't care what label you put on it. don't care what religion you put on it. It's just kindness. And kindness seems to transcend the different religions. 
Jesus did not say, will you and I help each other remember this? Jesus did not say that the greatest commandment is a belief in a particular doctrinal statement. He did not say that the greatest commandment is you have to believe this doctrinal statement. The greatest command is love. The director of connections here at the venues, Rob Howard, posted this week this really clever picture, and they will know you by your rules, theology, righteousness, power, rhetoric, purity, clubs. Nope. They'll know you by your love. I don't know why we missed that. I guess we missed it because we wanted our church and our group to be the right one, to be the only one. And even if the other group was loving, they didn't have the right beliefs, so it didn't count. I'm at the stage of my life where that's okay. That maybe Jesus is telling us here with John 13, 35 and with the other times that he answered the question, what's the greatest commandment? Two times that I'm aware of is to love God, to love others as you love yourself. Why, why don't we make love the mark, the evidence? I don't know why we don't do that. I guess because everybody can love. You don't have to be a member of my church to love. I posted this this week, and I love the response. I'd like to know what you think about it. Kind atheists are closer to Jesus than mean Christians. Okay, be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. But are any of you cringing a little bit with that? Just a little bit uncomfortable with that? Or are some of you saying, yes, I so resonate with that. I do resonate with it, but I also cringe because it makes me sad. That there are so many mean Christians out there. Makes me sad that I've been a mean Christian and probably still am. Well, Philip, does it matter at all what you believe? Well, Father Rohr helps me. Franciscan priest. I'm so thankful for Father Rohr. He says... Uh, Your image of God creates you or defeats you. There is an absolute connection between how we see God and how we see ourselves in the universe. Now, I like this. The word God is a stand-in word for everything, reality, truth, the shape of the universe. I like that. Because not everybody believes in God, the God that I was taught. And I love the friends of Bill for teaching me this. The higher power. 
You see, I grew up in a denomination that absolutely condemned AA because they called God at higher power instead of God. Oh, I remember preachers saying, well, your higher power may be a bowl of jello. <laughs> Amen. And I, I got to admit, I kind of believe that until my adulthood. So I actually began to have friends who were friends of Bill. Uh, so, Father Rohr, thank you for that. I think you stole that from AA. But truth is truth, isn't it? So you don't have to, don't get hung up on the word God. It's reality, it's truth, it's the shape of the universe. There's a principle that I'm learning through Father Rohr and through child psychologists on mirroring. Infants see themselves mirrored in the faces of their caregivers. In fact, some psychologists say that there's no such thing as an infant. There is an infant slash caregiver. And in the first several months of that infant's life, they cannot tell the difference between themselves and the caregiver, one and the same. And so the face of the caregiver communicates to the infant either rejection or acceptance, either hate or love, either kindness or cruelness. Cruelness isn't a word, cruelty. You get the idea? And so when that infant looks into the face of the caregiver, the expression of the caregiver's face is how the infant sees and feels about themselves. And pretty soon, throughout life, that primary vision, mirrored vision, and the identity of that mirrored vision, that infant believes that's who I am and becomes. And there are some people whose infancy was so traumatic and the mirrored image was not an image of love and acceptance, but it was of rejection and pain. And for those individuals who did not experience a mirrored image of love, boy, there is a hurt, deep hurt, and a need for professional therapy for healing so that you can learn to see yourself as lovable. And then so you can see yourself as loving because how we see that caregiver's face is how we see ourselves, but then it's how we see the entire universe. So how do you see the higher power, God, the state of the universe? There have been a lot of different images of God throughout Christianity. Of course, Michelangelo's God, it's 
painted on the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. There's Gary Larson's view. <laughs> just push right there at the computer to just to let a piano drop on us. Just messing around with us. That's how a lot of us see God. We're totally at the mercy of God's finger. He could make it rain or he could make a, the sun shine. And then we see the face of Jesus, the face of God. I don't know who this artist is. I appreciate the art. And I see in Jesus and that girl a mirroring process going on. And that little girl is depicted as looking into a loving and accepting face. And in Christian doctrine, that face is the face of God. And that's God looking at you. And that's Jesus looking at you. That's love looking at you. And I don't know what face you looked at throughout your life. A harsh, vindictive, punitive God. One for whom to be Terrified. Erase. Delete. And see Jesus looking at you today. He says, let the children come to me. Let me start all over you in your childhood as a baby. And all the pain that you have experienced throughout your life in childhood and teen years and adulthood, let's just start all over today. And look into the face of Jesus and you will see love. And you will be and you will become and you will believe this about yourself, that you are lovable and worthy. People who've been raised in an atmosphere of threats of punishment and promises of reward have been programmed to operate under a view of God that is primitive, that is punitive. And the thing is, that view becomes how we see the entire universe. So we know ourselves through the gaze of others. And if you have been taught that God looks at you as an enemy until you believe the right things, look at Jesus. And I leave you with this beautiful prayer from the Hebrew Scripture. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you.